scripture tonight is Exodus 3-7. Exodus 3-7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and we have heard their cry by reasons of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Good evening and welcome again to our worship service. We're grateful for your presence tonight. We're grateful for the opportunity to be together to worship God in spirit and in truth. We're going to be looking tonight at the book of Exodus and specifically chapter 3. We'll also be looking at several verses in chapter 1. Before we do that, I do want to mention that we've had a lot of activities going on here in, in the last couple of weeks. We appreciate all of those who have contributed, all of those who have worked so feverishly to make things run smoothly here. And we're very thankful for the contributions that have been made over the past year. And I do want to echo what Thomas said a moment ago, that all of us ought to be thinking about what we can do to advance the cause of Christ in this community in the coming year and to make this congregation bigger and better, to make it be a congregation that God would be pleased with and that we could benefit by being with one another. Tonight I want us to think about the theme, God looks after his people. It is comforting to know that as members of the body of Christ, we have the opportunity to look out for one another. In a sense, we have the opportunity as children of God to reach out and encourage one another, to literally have one another's backs. Well, one of the things that ought to be of great encouragement and comfort to us is to know that God is constantly looking after us. Certainly this was the case in the days of Israel when they found themselves in, a, in Egyptian bondage. And so I want us to look for just a few moments at Exodus chapters 1 as well as chapter 3. The first thing that I want to call your attention to in our study tonight has to do with the restraint of God's people. And really what you find when you turn to Exodus chapter 1 is the fact that God's people living in the land of Egypt are now in bondage. They are enslaved to Pharaoh and to the people in the land of Egypt. Now, in looking at chapter 1, Moses brings to light or reminds us of those sojourners that had made the trip down to the land of Goshen, and there they had multiplied greatly. That is, the descendants of Joseph, Joseph, his brothers, his father, his family members, and from some 70 people, Israel grew mightily. And such is set forth in Exodus chapter 1. But what you need to understand is, if you go back to the book of Genesis and look at chapter 15, there was a prophecy given about God's people. And this prophecy pertained to their bondage in the land of Egypt. If you go back and look in Exodus chapter 15, of course, God had told Abraham that in him all families of the earth would be blessed. It would be through the posterity or through the lineage of Abraham and Sarah 
that God would bless the human family with a Savior. Well, in chapter 15, God reminds Abraham that he is his shield and exceeding great reward. And of course, he also points out that Abraham and Sarah would have a child, and it would be through this child that the Messiah, as you and I know him, would come. Well, Abraham is somewhat puzzled over this, and his perplexity is reflected in the fact that he says, look, the one that has been born in my house is Eliezer, and uh, he's very perplexed. Well, in chapter 15, we find that a dream, or rather Abraham has a dream, and in that dream, God tells him that his descendants will ultimately dwell they will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. And he said, they will serve these people in this foreign land. Furthermore, he points out that those descendants of his, that they would suffer or be afflicted greatly some 400 years in this foreign land. And then God tells him in about verse 14 of Genesis, Genesis chapter 15 that he would ultimately bring the descendants of Abraham out of this foreign land. And he said, I will judge them, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. Well, when you pick up in Exodus chapter 1, that's exactly what has occurred. They have now been in bondage or enslaved in the land of Egypt. And so, in chapter 1, we read, the backdrop, I guess you could say, of this prophecy, and then the proliferation of the people of God. Look, if you would, in verse 6. Joseph died, all his brothers, and all their generation. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied, and grew exceedingly mighty. And the land was filled with them. And then in verse 8, we find the Bible says, There arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now, we think about these descendants of Abraham, some 70 people that had migrated to the land of Goshen, and it was in Goshen that they had grown and multiplied and become a mighty nation of people. And now they, they find themselves down in the land of Egypt. And there is a new king in Egypt. And as a result of this new king in Egypt, what we have is Israel is now faced with a terrible predicament. And so we think about the predicament of God's people. Look, if you would, again at verse 8. There arose a new king in, a new king over Egypt, or a new king in Egypt, as some translations say, who did not know Joseph. And really what Moses is saying there is this. This king, this Pharaoh that was now governing Egypt, he did not know the God of Joseph. You recall Joseph had risen to great prominence in the land of Egypt, second in command. And no doubt, the king of the Pharaoh that served during the days of Joseph came to respect the God of heaven. Well, there was now a new king in Egypt, and this king did not know the God of Joseph. And so, look at what it said in verse 9. He said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply. And it happened in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us. And so go up out of the land. 
Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. Verse 12, But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. Well, you can see the terror that Pharaoh felt as a result of the growth or the proliferation of the Israelite people. He felt threatened by them. And so he sought to burden them, to oppress them. And over in chapter 3 at verse 7, God will say, I have seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And so that's exactly what's happening. They are being oppressed. They are suffering. They are being afflicted, just as God said back in Genesis chapter 15. And so in verse 13, the Bible says, So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor or with harshness, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar, in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. And then in verse 15, we find the king of Egypt devises a plan. And really, his plan has to do with the extermination of the male Hebrew children. We could, we could call it genocide. And really, that's what, that's what he seeks to do. Terminate these Hebrew male children. Again, because he felt threatened. And so you can read about that in verses 15 through 22. But what I want you to think about now and really this gets to the heart of the lesson. If you turn over to chapter 3, you read about the redemption of God's people and ultimately their great blessings. You see, God had prophesied about His people back in Genesis 15. We can, we can read of the proliferation of His people and then the predicament that they faced. But God was not going to leave them in that foreign land. He was not going to allow them to stay uh, beyond their allotted time. And so in chapter 3, we have God appearing to Moses. And Moses ultimately became the great lawgiver and leader of ancient Israel. But down in verse 7, we read of the blessings that God intends to bring upon the children of Israel. And as we look at this particular point, the redemption of God's people and their great blessings, the first thing that I want to call your attention to is the omniscience of God. The word omniscience means all-knowing. And what you and I need to understand is that God is all-knowing. And because He is omniscient, he has, he has the ability to meet our needs. And certainly He had the ability to meet the needs of the Israelite people as they dwelt in the land of Egypt. So... With that being said, look now at verse 7. And the first thing that we see in verse 7, in verse 7 and as well as in verse 9, is the fact that God saw their situation. Listen to what is recorded. The Lord said, I have surely, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And then down in verse 9, the latter part, he said, I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. God was mindful of what was going on to His people in the land of Egypt. As a matter of fact, when we talk about the fact that God is all-knowing, what we need to understand and appreciate is, is this, that God sees all and God knows all. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. And then also in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 at verse 13, the Bible says that neither is there any creature that is not made manifest in His sight. 
All things are naked and open before the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. And what the Hebrew writer is saying there is that all things are laid bare before the eyes of Jehovah God. The Lord sees all. Here were His people in the land of Egypt. They were being oppressed. They were being persecuted. They were being afflicted. They were suffering immensely. And God said, look, I have seen your situation. I understand what you're going through. And I would just say this. Whatever situation we find ourselves in, in this life, we need to step back and realize that Almighty God sees things just like we do. He sees our situation. He sees what we're faced with. In the book of Psalms, in Psalm 139, the psalmist in the long ago underscores the omniscience of God and the fact that God knows everything, that He sees everything. He said, Lord, You have searched me and known me. He said, You know my sitting down and my rising up. He said, There's not a word on my tongue, but lo, O Lord, You know it all together. What was He saying there? He was saying, Look, God knows exactly what we're experiencing in this life. He sees the situations that we're faced with in this life, whether good or bad. Whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, God is there. But then also, note if you would what is said. Not only did God see their situation, but He heard their supplications. Listen to what is said in verse 7. Well, just back up and read verse 7 again with me. The Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. And then in verse 9, he said, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. Do you not think that God hears our cries, our pleas, our prayers? Is it not the case that the Lord desires that we pray to Him? Think about all of the blessings that we enjoy as His people. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible tells us that every spiritual blessing is in Christ Jesus. Now, there are a lot of great spiritual blessings that we enjoy, but one of those great blessings is prayer. Peter said, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open under their, pray under their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. To know that God in heaven hears our prayers, when He hears our cries. In the book of Exodus, chapter 3, God's people were crying out to Him. Here were people that had been enslaved in Egypt. They have a Pharaoh who is not mindful of the God of heaven. This Pharaoh feels threatened by them. And so he is adding burden upon burden to those Hebrew people. And so when they finally reached a point in time when they had had enough, they began to cry out to God. And God was saying to His people, listen, I have heard your supplications. Now, I don't know what all of you are experiencing at this point in time in, in life. I know what some of you are undergoing. But to me, it's of great encouragement and comfort to know that whatever state we find ourselves in, that we can turn to the Lord, that we can pray to Him, 
and He hears us. That God has not closed His ears to our supplications. Again, Peter said, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open unto their prayers. What about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7? We talk about the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. Everyone that asketh, receiveth. To him that seeketh, findeth. To him that knocketh, it will be opened. What's Jesus saying there? He's saying, pray. As a matter of fact, Luke said in chapter 18, verse 1 of his inspired book, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Or what about the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 4, when he said, Let us therefore draw boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. To know that God is there, and that He hears our cries, our supplications, our prayers. But then there is a third thing that we need to see in this particular verse. Not only did God see their situation, not only did He hear their supplications, but He said He knew their sorrows. We talk about the omniscience of God, the all-knowing God in heaven. Well, that's exactly what Moses is saying here. Listen again to verse 7. He said, for I know their sorrows. God knows what's going on. There are a lot of people in our world today, they have the idea that God is removed from the universe. There are some who are deists, and they have the idea that God created the world and then stepped back and just allowed things to begin operating on their own or unfolding on their own. Well, that's not the case. God is actively involved in the affairs of mankind. Daniel said in Daniel chapter 4, verse 32, that the Most High rules in the kingdoms of men. God is at work. God is involved in the universe. He's involved in the world. Think for a moment about what is said about Jesus Christ. The Bible says He upholds all things by the word of His power. Jesus is not only the creator, He is the sustainer of this universe. Now, if God created the universe, if He sustains the universe, surely He is concerned about the inhabitants of this universe. And over and over again, the Bible speaks of God's concern or His care for His people. Take, for example, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus talked about the value of a human life or a human being. He talked about the sparrows. He said, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? He said, not one of them can fall to the ground without our Father's will. And then he went on to say, the very hairs of your head are numbered. He followed that by saying, you are of more value than many sparrows. Now, let those verses sink in for, sink in for a moment. What the Lord is saying here is this. God is mindful of what's going on in your life. He knows what you're facing. If a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without our Heavenly Father knowing about it, surely He understands 
Surely He knows what we are experiencing in this life. There are a lot of people in our world today, they think that they're on their own. How many people commit suicide on an annual basis in this, in this country or in the world? Many people commit suicide because they think they've hit the end of the road. And they have the idea that no one cares about them or that no one understands what they're going through or they're experiencing in life. They get down in that black hole and for whatever reason they can't climb out. And so they terminate their existence. Well, what the Bible says is God knows what we're going through. God said to the children of Israel, I know your sorrows. Now, if God knew the sorrows, the, the problems that they were experiencing, surely He knows what we're going through. Listen, if you would, to what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. He said, casting all your care on Him, for He cares for you. I said a moment ago that God looks after us. He looks after His people. Think for a moment about a parent. Those of us who are parents, we have the responsibility of overseeing the welfare, the well-being of our children. And there are certain things that, that, that we do to provide for them to ensure for their safety and well-keeping. Well, if we go to great lengths to care for our physical children, do you not think God goes to great lengths to care for us? Do you not believe that God is concerned about your plight here upon planet Earth? That He, that he understands that He can not only sympathize, but empathize with where you are in this life? God understood what His people were going through, and He understands what we're going through. But then also, look, if you would, at a second point. We talk about the omniscience of God, but now I want you to, I want you to see the omnipotence of God. The word omnipotence means all-powerful. God is not only all-knowing, He is all-powerful. He is, he is the most powerful being in this universe. And the fact that He is omnipotent simply underscores His deity, the fact that He's God. Well, what about the power of Almighty God? Well, it's reflected in this fact. He was ready to save. When God is ready to save, no one or nothing will stand in His way. So, with that in mind, look now at verse 8. In verse 8, we read about the deliverance of God's people. God said, I'm going to deliver you. Look if you would at verse 8. So I've come down to deliver them out of, the, out of the hand of the Egyptians. God said, look, I have seen, I've seen what you're going through. I've heard your cries. I know your sorrows. And now I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to deliver you. Now, let me just pause here and make this statement. When we look at the deliverance that ancient Israel experienced out of Egyptian bondage, we ought to remind ourselves of the redemption, the deliverance that we can experience through Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ has the ability or the power 
to deliver us from the bondage of sin. In John chapter 8, Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, in verse 32. In verse 34, He talked about those who are the servants of sin are literally the bondservants of sin. But He said, If the Son makes you free, you're free indeed. Through our obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can be delivered from the power of sin. We have the opportunity to stand pure and just in the sight of Almighty God. What's the basis for that? The blood of Christ. Think for a moment about what Paul said in Ephesians 1 verse 7. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. In Revelation chapter 1 verse 5, John said unto Him who loved us and washed us from our sins by His own blood. We sing the song, What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. God said, I'm going to deliver you. And in verse 8, we read of the deliverance of God's people. But there's a second thing that we need to see. Not only does Moses record the deliverance of God's people, or not only does he speak of the deliverance of God's people that would ultimately take place, but he writes of the destination of God's people. Look again at verse 8. God said, I've come down to deliver them out of the land, or rather out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. So God is saying here, that not only is He going to deliver His people, but they have before them a great destination. The destination of God's people. What was that destination? It's called Canaan. The land of Canaan. A place that Moses said flows with milk and honey. Which really just underscores or points to the abundance of this great land. Now, we typically talk about Canaan as a type of heaven. I said just a moment ago that through Jesus Christ we can experience deliverance. We talk about the deliverance of God's people and then the destination of God's people. These people, they were on their way to Canaan. God said, I'm, gonna, I'm going to send you to that land flowing with milk and honey. Now those of us that have, that have obeyed the gospel, that have become New Testament Christians, that are striving to live faithfully in the eyes of Almighty God. We have before us what? Not physical Canaan, but spiritual Canaan. It is a land that we sing about from time to time that is fairer than day. You ever thought about the blessings of heaven? You ever thought about the beauty of heaven? I think it would be very difficult for us to really get a picture, a mental picture of the beauty of heaven. I know we can read, for example, in the book of Revelation chapter 21, where John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. He talked about the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. Well, heaven is a real place. It is, as Jesus said, a prepared place. And it is for prepared people. 
Throughout 2009, we have lost some of our members. And anytime you lose loved ones, it's hard, it's difficult. I haven't stepped back to count how many members we've lost over the past year, but I know that we've lost some very fine people, good Christian people. And I think about them often. I think about their memory. Their me I think about the memories that I have of them. I think about their, their personality, their kindness, their encouragement. I think about their love for the Lord, their love for the family, their love for the church. But you see, they've gone on ahead of us. And they're now in that Hadean realm. They've gone to be with the Lord. They're in paradise. And when the Lord comes, they will enjoy the blessings of heaven. And those of us who have lived faithfully, we too will experience the privilege of spending eternity in heaven. But what I want to encourage you to do is to make sure that your destination is heaven. All of us have, all of us have within our own power the ability to plot the course. And really the Bible is our map that will successfully lead us from earth to heaven. You take a trip, maybe you're going to take a trip over the holidays. What are you going to do? Well, you're going to use a road map. And that map is going to lead you from point A to point B. Spiritually speaking, the Bible is going to lead you from earth to heaven. Everything that I read about heaven in the Bible suggests one thing. You don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss heaven. There are events that take place in, in our lives from time to time that we have to miss because of sickness. Maybe we're out of town. Maybe because of employment obligations, we're unable to attend a function, something going on. But you and I, we're going to either experience heaven or hell. Wherever we reside in the hereafter will be because we made the decision here upon planet earth to reside in one of those two abodes. Now God is saying here, I have before you a destination. Now all you have to do is read the book of Numbers and you'll find out that many of the people that were in Egypt did not make it to Canaan. They didn't make it. My prayer is that we all make it. How are we going to make it? By living faithfully. By living for the Lord. God is looking out for us. But what we have to do is look to Him, look to His Word, and live faithfully. And in so doing, the promise is eternal life. Here's what Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. God delivered His people out of Egyptian bondage. 
He put them on the road to Canaan. Those who failed to enter Canaan failed of their own volition. If you and I miss heaven, it's because we made poor decisions in this life. So my encouragement to you, choose wisely. Live wisely. Maybe you're here tonight, you're not a Christian. Maybe you've never obeyed the gospel. Here's what you need to do. The Bible says, first of all, you need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, John 8, 24. Then you need to repent of every sin, just like Peter said in Acts 2, verse 38. Repent. The Bible also says that we are to confess with our mouth what we believe in our heart, Romans 10, 9 and 10, to do like the eunuch did, to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then to be immersed in water for the remission of sin, Acts 2, verse 38. The washing away of sins, Acts twenty two sixteen. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not faithful. Maybe right now your destination is not heaven. Well, I want to encourage you, why not come home tonight? Why not come back to a loving God who will abundantly pardon? John said if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you come as we stand and sing?